Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. I'll tell you, friends, some Christians are conflicted. What are they conflicted about? Well, they're conflicted about Donald Trump, President Trump. And the, the midterms are coming up within two weeks here, just 10, 10 or so days. And uh, 81%, I believe, of evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump in uh, 2016. But now these midterms are coming up. What are we as Christians supposed to think about this? What are we supposed to think about Donald Trump, his personal behavior, sometimes his juvenile tweets? Uh, what are we supposed to think of his policies? What, what kind of leader are we looking for? Are we in any way compromising our Christian convictions by supporting a man who has admitted to immoral behavior, even bragged about it? Are we in any way compromising our Christian convictions and our witness by in any way supporting President Trump or people that uh, support him? Well, there's probably no better person to talk about this than my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, who has just come out with a brand new book. Michael comes out with a book about every month. He's an absolute machine. This new book, and they're all good, by the way. This new book is called Donald Trump is Not My Savior. An evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. Now, for those of you that don't know about Dr. Brown, shame on you. You probably already do because he... He's very prolific. He's written some amazing books. He has his Ph.D. in Near Eastern uh, languages. He grew up Jewish but became a Christian in 1971. At the time, he was a heroin-shooting, LSD-using, hippie rock drummer as a teenager. But he went to NYU. After he got saved, he got his degree in Near Eastern uh, languages. He's written several great books, about 30 books, actually. He speaks all over the world. He has a fire school of ministry here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he also has a radio program on every day called Line of Fire. And if you can't get it on your airwaves, you can get it online. And it's always great having Dr. Brown on. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. And Frank, last night I was telling students in our ministry school that you're going to be doing a, a seminar for us. And they said, hey, that guy, we watch him all the time. So you got some fans in the school eager to meet you face to face. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Next week, I'm going to bring my friend Ellie Shukran to you as well, the uh, Israeli archaeologist. Ellie's in town. So we're going to come in the first day anyway, talk about archaeology, which will be fun. But um, let, me, let me just start out by, by asking you this question. I'm 26 years ago or so, we had Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton running for president. And religious conservatives, including myself, were claiming, look, Clinton's unfit for office. He's, he's got immoral, an immoral personal life. And, and this is, by the way, before all the Monica Lewinsky stuff. This is before Bill Clinton was actually president. It's before Bill Clinton was found guilty of perjury as president. But today, those same religious conservatives are supporting Donald Trump despite his admitted immoral personal life. Now, why do we have this double standard? Yeah, it can seem like a double standard, and we need to be sensitive to that fact because we were the ones shouting, character matters, character right. matters. And, and that's one of the reasons I had such an issue with, with Donald Trump during the primaries. I, I really opposed him back then. It's all in my book. I, I go through chronologically my own journey here. I had massive problems with him, but here's where I'd say the difference is between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Number one, 
Donald Trump has positioned himself as a pro-life candidate, pro-family candidate. He's pushed back against LGBT extremism. He's, he's followed through with his promises about nominees to the court. He's standing with Israel. He's, doing, he's fighting for religious liberty. So on many of those fronts, Bill Clinton was on the, the opposite moral side. That's a big thing. The other thing is that, that Donald Trump has really surrounded himself with evangelicals and, and is not proud of his past life. So when he does things we don't like, when he calls a former employee a dog, when he insults LeBron James rather than reaches out to him, whether, when he you know, praises a guy for body slamming a reporter, it behooves us to say, we don't like that. We wish he wouldn't do that, but we're pleased with all these other policies, and he's not walking around now flaunting an affair. He's not walking around now boasting about adultery. You know, that, that horrific tape with his comments from years ago, he says, hey, I'm not proud of that. So that, I think, is another difference. Bill Clinton continued his adulterous behavior right into the White House. President Trump is seeking to position himself as happily married to Melania with an ear to evangelicals. And, that's why the title of my book is not bashing him. He's not my savior. He didn't die for my sins. I don't worship at his altar, but he gets my vote as president. If we can make that distinction, I think we can avoid the charges of hypocrisy. Now, what do you think about people who say, well, look, I'm voting for a president, not a pastor? I mean, what kind of moral standard do we have? What's the bottom moral standard that we have? Where do we draw the line where we say, look, I don't care if this guy supports all the right policies. At this point, I can't support him anymore because of his personal behavior. Yeah, look, on the one hand, take Winston Churchill, who was one of the great leaders of the 20th century and who really helped save Europe from the Nazi onslaught. And he was anything but a moral example, and he was a heavy drinker and all this other stuff. But he was the man for the job, and right. if people didn't support him, they would have been on the wrong side of history. Flip it around now, there is a guy just passed away known as America's most famous pimp, runs a brothel, open, proud about it, reality TV show on HBO, and he was running as a Republican candidate. Well, I'd have to sit that out. I don't care how big the issues were. I could not associate my name with a vote for someone who was openly flaunting a sinful, destructive lifestyle and, and because there are consequences. In other words, I, I think with President Trump in office, I'm glad I voted for him. I vote for him again today with, with less hesitation than I did two years ago. He's doing a tremendous amount of good. But I think there's been kind of a degenerating of the national discourse. I think we've become a bit more vulgar and nasty with each other as a downside of the president. So you have to kind of weigh things out. If he was openly flaunting immorality, adultery, and boasting about it and walking it, at a certain point you think, okay, the, the reward is, is not worth the price that's being paid. But up to now, I believe that the good he's doing outweighs the bad really by far. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, his new book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, an evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. Um, is it possible that um, someone can be sexually immoral and still be moral politically? In other words, do the right thing politically, but personally, when it comes to sexual morality, he is immoral. Is it, I mean, can, can, we, can we bifurcate a character like that? Mike? Yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, how about Dr. Martin Luther King, one of the great moral leaders of the 20th century, a you know, great reformer, civil rights leader, but allegedly very promiscuous in, in ongoing adulterous affairs over a number of years to the point that J. Edgar Hoover allegedly held this over his head. We're going to expose your immorality. So, yeah, you, you can be, and I'm sure there have been quite a few moral 
leaders that have stood for the right thing that privately were corrupt. I, I think, though, it bites you in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can be as effective. And if you go full full bore like, say, Solomon did, it can bring destruction on a nation. So it, it, it all depends on how far something goes. The way I put it in my book is that God uses unlikely vessels. Donald Trump's one of them. Come on, four years ago, Frank, if, I'm telling you, if I tell you Donald Trump will be the president of the United States, he'll beat all these amazing Republican candidates, he'll beat Hillary Clinton, and he'll deal with the support of white evangelicals who vote for him over 80% because he's a pro-life champion, you think I'm crazy. It's right. completely unlikely, yet, yet God's used him. However, character flaws do have effects. So maybe you don't lead as well. Maybe it creates more tension in the marriage. Maybe it lessens some of your courage. So it has an effect. But often, because we're not talking about ministry, we're talking about politics, these guys can do a great job and be hypocritical in their own lives in the process. Yeah, some will say that Clinton actually did relatively well as a president, certainly with regard to the economy, it seemed, um, even though on when it, when it came to the sexual situation in the White House, that was atrocious. Um, of course, I didn't agree with Clinton on virtually anything, particularly his moral stance with regard to abortion and uh, gays in the military at the time and all that that was going on. So it, it obviously would be best to have somebody who was morally upright. But the question is, is there ever a time when you can support somebody who personally is immoral? Well, actually, actually, everyone's immoral. But when, when someone is out there actually doing immoral things and flaunting it, as uh, Dr. Brown just said, well, we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. My guest is uh, Dr. Michael Brown, his new book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. How far can Christians go to support people? Should they support? Should they not support? We're not here endorsing candidates. We're just having a discussion about how Christians ought to behave when it comes to these kinds of issues and candidates. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with me on the end of it, .org. I want to mention that uh, this coming Monday night in Charlotte, North Carolina, just actually north of Charlotte, Cornelius, North Carolina. Actually, it's Sunday night, I should say. It's Sunday night. So uh, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Saturday or uh, Tonight, if you're listening to it on Sunday, I'll be with my friend Eli Shukran, the uh, Israeli archaeologist. We're going to be at Life Fellowship Church in Cornelius. All the details are on our website, crossexamined.org. And we're going to look at some amazing archaeological discoveries right in the heart of Jerusalem, right in the city of David. It's, it's amazing material that you're not going to want to miss. So check that out. Uh, also, next week, I'll be down in uh, Bradenton, uh, Florida for uh, at Bayside Community Church on Friday and Saturday. I'll be, be with Josh McDowell and some other folks down there. Again, check our website for more. But I got to get back to our guest because we only have him for one more segment. His name is the great Dr. Michael Brown and his new book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. We're having this conversation just 10 days or so before the midterms because Christians are conflicted uh, in many ways. Can we support a man who has exhibited some let's just put it mildly, some juvenile behavior, even as president, when he seems to support very good policies from a biblical perspective and natural law perspective. In fact, Mike, you didn't support him during the primaries, but you do support him now. Give me a list of reasons why you support him now. 
okay, we have a genocide of 60 million babies killed in the womb. When it comes to who's going to do a better job protecting the life of the unborn, Donald Trump and his policies or Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and their policies, that's a no-brainer. When it comes to uh, appointing justices, not just to the Supreme Court, but to federal courts that could right. affect religious liberties, that could affect the life of the unborn, that could affect a whole lot of key issues, uh, Donald Trump, hands down, he's doing it. Look, uh, the Department of, of uh, uh, HHS now is saying that they're going to push back against the misinterpretation of Title IX, which says that you can't discriminate based on sex. So under the Obama administration, sex became gender identity, so that Obama administration was putting pressure on schools, saying that you have to let a 15-year-old boy who identifies as a girl play on the girls' sports team and share her locker room and shower stalls and all that. That's completely outrageous. Mm. They're pushing back against that. Uh, Bill Clinton didn't move the embassy. George Bush didn't move the embassy in Jerusalem. Uh, Barack Obama didn't do it. Donald Trump did it. That's another major thing. Now, also, I believe he's doing good for the economy, and I believe he's facing down some world leaders that need to be faced down. So when it comes to the job of a president, I'm kind of looking at it like this. you got a bunch of pit bulls in your neighborhood. They've got rabies. They're biting children in, in the schools, in, in the playgrounds. Kids are getting sick and dying. You don't have a dog catcher in your community. you got two guys running. One is the world's nicest guy, smiley, friendly. His family loves him, happily married, but he can't catch a fly. The other guy's mean-spirited. All his ex-wives hate him. The guy's nasty and profane, but he can catch a dog with his own teeth. You hire that guy. and so. The president, it would be wonderful if he was a role model. It would be wonderful if he was a moral example. I know there's a downside to some of the moral example of Donald Trump, but the reasons I voted for him, he's exceeded my expectations. The fears I had, he's lived up to. The things that I was hoping for, he's exceeded my expectations. And I believe this is for the good of America for the generations to come. So he's not the savior. He doesn't bring moral, spiritual transformation, but he could do some things now that could point us in a better direction than we've been going in quite a few years. Yeah, you know, for me, Trump is the conservative bully that shows up on the schoolyard and beats up the liberal bullies who have been beating you up for the past 40 years. I think that's why people are relieved that someone's actually saying something that needs to be said, even if they sometimes disagree about how he says it. And I think people are also relieved and actually enthused that someone's actually fighting back and doing things that are long overdue, that have been ignored. I mean, there's one thing I will say about Trump, and even during the primaries, I noticed this, that he, it's, he seemed to me, look, I was a Ted Cruz guy. I know you were too when we, uh, early on. I, I, I thought Cruz was, was the best candidate. But the more Trump went through the primaries, the more I thought to myself, if there's one guy that can take a two-by-four, and smash it over the head of the liberal establishment in Washington, it's this guy. He's afraid of nobody. He's going to say things that nobody else will say that need to be said. He will go up against a politically correct culture. So in that regard, I applaud that. Now, here's my, here's my question, Mike, and I've been trying to get answers to this question because I don't know if it's just me that's noticed this. It can't be just me, but I look at Trump, who calls people out very forcefully, and sometimes he calls people names. And he and he he does so sometimes in an extremely juvenile way. And in my opinion, there's there's no place to be disrespectful or juvenile as Trump often is. But I will say this. Or let me ask you this question. What do we make of Jesus who forcefully calls out politicians and religious leaders, the Pharisees? They were part of the 
the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, as you well know, they were political leaders and religious leaders of Israel. He calls them out in John chapter 8. He calls them out in Matthew 23. He even calls them names. He calls them snakes, brood of vipers, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, sons of hell. And he says to these religious and political leaders of Israel, he actually says to them, in John chapter 8, he says, your father is the devil. Now, here's my question. Is this behavior of Jesus in any way an example for us? Is it ever right for us to exhibit this same kind of behavior Jesus exhibited in the political arena in, in such a forceful way? All right. So to, to go back to your first comment, yes, people got behind Donald Trump because he fought back. Right. And, and a lot of Americans were sick and tired of it. And, and Trump has exposed how extreme the left-wing media is. How extreme the pro-abortion movement is, how extreme radical feminism is, how extreme parts of the Democratic Party are. So he's exposed a lot, and that's what happens with the wrecking ball effect. The wrecking ball swings both ways, so it's great for demolishing a house. It's not good for renovating a room. That's some of the collateral damage. But that being said, to answer your question directly, we have to be very careful that we don't think that we are Jesus in that regard, because he was perfectly righteous. He was in perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit. He never spoke out of fleshly anger. If he spoke, it was out of divine anger. He never reacted. He was walking in perfect obedience to his father and spoke what he spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. The prophets of Israel called their leaders Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they said, you're, you're a brood of evildoers. The, the prophets renounced their own people in very, very strong terms. The problem with most of us is that, is that we got, we got a, a dog in the fight. We're bothered by this. We're annoyed by this. We're upset by this. And, and, and we often respond with our own anger and then often in an immature way. What I would say is this. If we're really grieved and upset about something, the best thing to do is step away from the emotion. Don't post immediately. Don't tweet immediately. Step back. Give it prayerful thought develop a heart of love for those you oppose, and then if it's time to rebuke, you do it. If it's for a leader, you do it with respect as way of an appeal. But otherwise, there is a time for sharp rebuke, for sharp confrontation. But a lot of what I hear is done self-righteously and, and holier-than-now kind of stuff. And when people say, well, Jesus did it, Trump could do it, it's like, please don't compare Trump blasting somebody in a juvenile way, you know, Megan Kelly's bleeding every, you know, don't compare that to Jesus rebuking religious hypocrites. There's a difference. Oh, no, I totally agree with that. My question, though, is if it is done in the way you describe in a reserved way, in the sense that you've thought about this, this is not a reaction. You're, you're, you're responding. You're not reacting. It's your, your emotion is cooled off. You've thought about the issues. You're doing it out of love. Is there ever a time where you can be forceful and call something as it is, even if it's going to offend people. Yes. Open rebuke is better than secret love. That's Proverbs 27. I spoke at a Palestinian conference in May where I was the only pro-Israel voice in this conference, and it was praising the Palestinian authority and saying things that were shocking to me. I knew what I was getting into. They knew what they had inviting me. And I started, and I was actually in tears. But I said, this hurts me because I'm going to say things that hurt you, but I love you. And, and I quoted from Proverbs 27. I quoted it in, in verses 5 and 6. I quoted it in English and then Hebrew then in Arabic. And, and the next verse says that the, the kisses of, a, of an enemy are profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
We speak the truth in love. There are times to rebuke. There are times to confront. There are times to warn. Most of it is done one-on-one in a setting like that. Uh, but look, there are times when we need to appeal to authority and say, there is blood on your hands. What you're doing is, is evil and wrong and destructive, and we're urging you not to do that. There is a right time to do it, absolutely. Read through Proverbs and notice how often rebuke is, is, is praised. Proverbs 28, 23, I think, says that, that he who rebukes a man in the end will find more favor than the one who speaks with a flattering tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. So it, it has always baffled me that I don't see more pastors uh, talking about that that Jesus was not Barney. You know, he was not, can't we all just get along, boys and girls? I yeah. mean, one of the reasons yeah. he was killed is because he was so politically incorrect for the time. I mean, he claimed to be God, and he went up against the Jewish authorities, and he he engaged in open rebuke, as you just mentioned. Uh, now, I'm not I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump Trump does this. I'm just saying that yeah, because because he does do it in a very juvenile and selfish way so frequently. But what what I also want to point out is that there are times when this needs to be done. Yeah. And and as you said, Mike, you can do it as a wrecking ball, or you can do it more like a surgeon. And Jesus did it like a surgeon. <laughs> Donald Trump does it more like a wrecking ball. But many of the stuff that many of the points or many of the issues that Trump brings up need to be brought up, and nobody yes. would bring them up before him. Exactly. And and I had to realize during the primaries when I was opposing him and all my articles opposing him, I, I printed in the book, unedited. Here's the issue. Here's where I was at. And the whole time I said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm missing something. I hope I get to eat my words. And, and many of my warnings and concerns were valid on the one hand, but he's proven himself to be a champion of many of our values. I remember James Robinson telling me, Mike, we're not going to get our champion, meeting Ted Cruz. We're going to get the people's champion. Why the people's champion? Because he was addressing issues that needed to be addressed. So, mm-hmm. so yes, he would call them out in ways that are wrong or destructive. But I, I have a, a, an article in my book, a chapter in my book, what Christian leaders can learn from Donald Trump. And it's some of these very things that you've got to have backbone. And you the book can't is, worry about what the media is going to say. Absolutely. The book is called Donald Trump is Not My Savior. An evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president by Dr. Michael Brown, my guest today. And Mike, I wish we had more time, but people can hear a lot more of you than just on this program. Tell people where they can learn more about you and listen to you even on a daily basis and read your yeah, columns. Go to where, where, where can they ask do that? AskDrBrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org, and then just connect with me on Facebook or Twitter and every day. You can watch the live stream on Facebook, YouTube. You can read all the articles, four or five new articles a week. So all our links are there to social media, AskDrBrown.org. We've got an archive of thousands of of videos and articles just waiting for you. AskDrBrown.org. He's also, by the way, an expert in Old Testament prophecy. He's got some fabulous books on that. So Dr. Brown does a lot with uh, a, a, a very small team, but he does a lot. Mike, great having you on the program. Thanks, Frank, for all the great work you do. Thanks. That's Dr. Michael Brown. Check him out at AskDrBrown.org. AskDrBrown.org, a great resource, a warrior for the faith. I'm Frank Turk. Back in two minutes. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Great having my friend Dr. Michael Brown on the program. He is an amazing man. He does a lot very well. In fact, Mike writes a column almost every day. I write a column about once a month if I feel like it. This guy, Michael Brown, is a machine, and his columns are normally spot on. In fact, that book that we were talking about earlier today, the new one he just came out with called Donald Trump is Not My Savior, is actually a series of columns that, uh, and there's some additional material in there that he goes through from 2015 when Trump first started running all the way through to practically today. And you can see uh, his thinking regarding Donald Trump and regarding politics and regarding Christians being involved in politics. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about what a Christian's responsibility is civically. Uh, we were just talking earlier about, can you support a man like Donald Trump? Should you, that kind of thing. And as I say, we're not here to, to endorse candidates or not. We're just talking about the, the, the ethical and moral issues that we need to work through as we decide who we're going to vote for and how we're going to get involved politically. And, uh, I wish this was TV right now so I could show you a, a picture, but I can't. But any of you who are near a computer right now or you're near your iPhone, if you're not driving, um, I want you to Google something. And I've mentioned this a couple of years ago on the program. What I want you to Google is, is a picture that I always show people who say, you know, Christians who say, oh, we, we shouldn't get involved in politics. We just, we just have to preach the gospel. And if you preach the gospel, that'll transform people individually, and in turn, that'll transform society. So that's all you need to do. And what I say to people is I say, I want you to Google this. Google Korea Satellite Night. Korea Satellite Night. And a picture is going to show up, a satellite picture of the Korean Peninsula. And when you see this picture, you will see South Korea. It's just light everywhere. It's obviously a very vibrant society. They have productivity. They obviously have electricity. They have the gospel. It's one of the more Christianized countries in the world. But then you look north of the 38th parallel into North Korea, and you see a little white dot from their capital, but the rest of the country is basically dark. It's black. South Korea has all sorts of freedoms. North Korea does not. And I ask people, why is there such a difference between South and North Korea? And the answer really is politics. South, the South politically has set up a government which allows economic freedom, allows religious freedom, allows freedom of speech, these kind of things that allow a uh, a society to prosper, whereas North Korea has strangled themselves with an oppressive government. And the main reason 
is politics. And my question to people is, which kind of country would you rather live in? Would you, would you rather live in a country like South Korea or a country like North Korea? Quite obviously, the answer is South Korea. Well, if that's the case, then you need to be involved politically because politics affects your ability in so many areas. Politics doesn't just affect the economy. It doesn't just affect your ability to engage in free speech, but it also even affects the gospel. Why? Because politically, you can't do what we're doing on this radio program right now in North Korea. Because politically, they've ruled it out. They said you can't be a Christian there. You can't broadcast Christianity. You can't even worship as a Christian. If we find out, we're going to throw you into a concentration camp. So politics affects everything we do. It affects our ability to preach the gospel. And so Christians, if for no other reason, uh, need to be involved in politics because politics affects everything we do. The laws that are made in Washington, the laws that are made in your state governments, the laws that are made in your local governments affect everything. They affect your church, your family, your health, your money, your business, your freedom, your property, your school, your home, your security, your safety, the poor, the unborn. Everyone and everything is affected by laws and laws are made by politicians. That's why you need to get involved. If you love the ability to preach and live the gospel, and if you love the ability to choose your own profession and to carry out your life as you would like to carry it out, given certain, obviously, moral restraints, then you need to be involved politically. I don't care if you're an atheist or a Christian or anywhere in between. These issues are important. Now, are they the most important thing? No, they're not the most important thing, but they certainly are very important. So you need to get involved. And if you don't know how to get involved, I mean, the, the, at least you need to vote. You need to inform yourself, and then you need to vote. And our, our friends here at the American Family Association, if you go to their website, they'll, they'll help you figure out who's running in your district. You go to their voter guide, put your zip code in, and you'll get a, uh, a breakdown of who's running for Congress in your district. If there's not enough information there, check out another website, uh, because not every website has all the information, but there's a... There's one called On the Issues. So suppose you're interested in what Donald Trump thought about the issues. All you need to do is type in On the Issues, Donald Trump, or Donald Trump on the Issues. It'll give you everything he said or has done on all these issues. You could do the same thing for any politician. On the Issues. See where they stand. And then make an informed decision before you go vote. Because voting actually affects our ability to preach and live Christianity. Because politics and laws affect that. I mean, in our country, we're, we're spoiled. We take it for granted we have religious freedom. But it, we shouldn't take it for granted anymore because it's going away in certain areas. Certain people can't live a certain way or do business a certain way. I'm thinking of florists. I'm thinking of, of bakers. I'm thinking of photographers who in any way have any interaction with the wedding industry because of the imposition of same-sex marriage on this country by a, by a rogue Supreme Court. Now, some of these people are being persecuted because they can, in good conscience, participate in these types of ceremonies. They, they have the inability uh, to engage or exercise, I should say, their First Amendment rights because politically, some people 
have said, no, you can't do that. Some courts have said, no, you can't do that. Of course, some courts have said you can do that. But unless we get involved, unless we vote, we're never going to be able to ensure that those rights are maintained. One of the things that Dr. Brown mentioned with regard to uh, President Trump were, were the judges. And true to form, I mean, this is unusual, but sometimes politicians do say or do do what they what they said they were going to do. When Donald Trump was running for president, he said, I'm going to pick my judges from the list of judges from the Federalist, Federalist Society, a conservative group. And when I say conservative, I don't just mean politically conservative. What I mean is these are people that want to conserve what the Constitution says. They don't want to invent new rights in the Constitution. They don't want to get away from the text of the Constitution. There's an amendment process for that. If you want to amend the Constitution, the court doesn't change the Constitution. The people do through the amendment process. And so this is the way the people stay connected. They have conservative judges put on the court who read the law as written as the people passed and they apply it that way. When you get liberal politicians putting liberal policymaker judges on the court, like the ones that decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, I shouldn't say overturn Roe v. Wade, gave us Roe v. Wade, or like the ones that gave us the Obergefell decision that basically impose same-sex marriage across the country, then the people are no longer involved. The people no longer govern ourselves. So it's important that you get involved. And look, you may find a candidate personally distasteful. I mean, many of the stuff, many of the things Trump does, I go, oh, come on. It's like a, a double face palm thing. This is juvenile. You shouldn't be doing this. But many of the policies that he is putting forth, I actually agree with. They're biblical. They're natural law. They agree with all that. But when you vote in, in, in this midterm election, you're not voting for president. When, you, when you're voting for a president, you have to keep three things in mind. Um, in fact, this is what I said just before the election in 2016. Three things you need to keep in mind. Number one, as personally distasteful as a candidate may be, you need to realize that when you're voting for a president, you're not just voting for one person. You're voting literally for thousands of people that come along with the top of the ticket, the party flat platform and everything else. You're voting for about 5,000 people when you vote for president, not just one. And you're voting for the platform that, that, that the, the, the president represents from his party. The second thing you need to keep in mind is that the party platforms are radically different and they will take this country in radically different directions. You don't take my word for it. Just Google Democrat versus Republican platform, and you can see the differences. In fact, our friends over at the Family Research Council, Tony uh, Perkins, um, they put in 2016, they put a comparison chart up, the 2016 party platform comparison. These two parties differ dramatically on major issues to Christians, the sanctity of human life, the definition of marriage, religious liberty versus LGBTQ um, uh, policies. Uh, conscience rights in healthcare, God in government, the Supreme Court, education, sex education, transgender, transgender bathrooms in schools, social experiments in the military, many other things, even on terrorism. They're radically different. The two parties have split uh, in a, and, and they're, they're, they're bifurcated greatly now. So when you vote, remember you're voting not just for the person. In many cases, you're voting for the party. Now, why do I say that? Because a congressional representative or a senator 
they, on average, vote with their party and the platform over 90 percent of the time. You hear these guys. In fact, there's a guy in our district who's running He's as a, as a Democrat. And he says, oh, I won't vote with Nancy Pelosi. I won't do this. I won't vote for Nancy Pelosi. I won't do that. When he gets to Congress, he will get in line or they will make sure that he doesn't get reelected again, that somebody else will get real, will, will get elected because they will take away the the, 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 the money that comes by being part of that party, they will take away the reelection efforts. Most of the people that get to Congress vote party line. And so when you're voting, you might say, well, I like this guy better than the other guy. But remember, our government is run by the parties. It's not run by individuals. So if uh, one particular party is in power in the House or the Senate, they pretty much get to do what they want. They pretty much set the agenda anyway. They get to decide what comes up for votes and what doesn't. And so you, you, you might want to consider that when you're voting for somebody, you're really not just voting for that one person. You're voting for the party because that person's going to vote with his party or her party most of the time. And you're also voting for the platform behind that party. So check those things out. Don't go into it blind. All right, I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're going to get into some objections to this right after the break, so don't go away. Back into it. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. This week just had some great sessions at the University of Maryland at Baltimore and another session at uh, Towson University. Some great folks, the crew folks over there were fabulous. We had full houses almost both nights uh, and mostly students the second night at Towson. And I just got a text from uh, the uh, leader there, Larry, who said that um, his daughter's friend became a Christian at the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist event on campus. So... We don't always expect that, but sometimes it does happen. And uh, our mission when we go to a college campus is not only to um, put a stone in the shoe of the skeptics, but encourage the Christians. And sometimes it's not just a stone in the shoe of the skeptics. Sometimes through the Holy Spirit and, and our efforts there that people can actually step into the kingdom with Christ. So rejoice in that. And uh, we also stream these events. And by the way, you can see all of these events on our website crossexamine.org streaming live and then they stay up there till the next event goes on you can also see them on our facebook page crossexamine.org and dr frank turk and the interesting thing for me is not the presentation because many of you know the presentation you've seen it before i don't have enough, i don't have enough faith to be an atheist but the questions are always fun and typically we get uh questions from unbelievers last night we had questions from uh atheists agnostics uh, lesbians uh uh, people who claim they weren't Christians, people who are on the fence. We had them all there. So it's an interesting Q&A. And if you want to see that Q&A, look for Towson University. In fact, the Q&A went on for about an hour and 15 minutes. This is after about a 90-minute presentation. So we were there almost three hours. Uh, go to our Facebook page and look that up. It was, what day was that? That was Tuesday night, the 23rd. So go back in the Facebook archives and look at that if you want. You can fast forward to about 90 minutes in and you'll see where the Q&A starts. 
In any event, let's uh, continue our conversation here about Christians and voting and our civic responsibility. I didn't get to all three things I mentioned, uh, so let me complete the thought. We were talking about when you're voting for a candidate or for a president, keep in mind that you're voting, number one, not just for a person, you're voting for uh, a party because the parties really run the government in, in, in our form of government. Secondly, the party platforms are radically different, and they take this country in radically different directions. And thirdly, the third thing that I didn't get to is the fact that Jesus wants us to consider the big issues in life when we vote. And if you go to Matthew chapter 23, in verse 23, here's what Jesus says to the politicians of his day. Who were the politicians? They were the Pharisees, who some of them were on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. In other words, they were not just religious leaders. They were also political leaders. They helped run Israel because Rome delegated much of the, much of the uh, governing authority to these Pharisees. And so they were making the laws and Jesus went after them. Yes, Jesus did get involved in politics. And sometimes he wasn't so nice doing it as Dr. Brown and I spoke in the second segment. Go back and listen to that segment if you haven't heard it yet. But in any event, here's what he says. Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What does he mean? You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What he's saying here is you're doing these these very unimportant things, but you're, you're neglecting the important things. You're tithing your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you're neglecting the bigger matters, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In other words, Jesus is excoriating the politicians and teachers for majoring in the minors, for getting the small issues right, but getting the big issues wrong. And what are the big issues? The biggest responsibility for government is to protect innocent people from evil. That's the primary responsibility of government, according to Romans 13, and obviously common sense. Paul says that the leader does not bear the sword for nothing. And the second responsibility, after protecting innocent from people from evil, the second responsibility of government is for government not to do harm itself. So the government's supposed to prevent evil and then not do evil itself. That's the real reason we have government. And why do we need government? James Madison said it so well. James Madison, the father of our Constitution, in Federalist 51, said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Think about that. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. Yeah, imagine if, uh, I, I think I may have given you this thought experiment before. Imagine if the police came into your hometown tomorrow and said, okay, from tonight at midnight all the way through the next 24 hours, we will not prosecute any crimes. You can do whatever you want. Do you think your local Best Buy would survive? How about the local Lexus dealer? How many people would be raped, murdered? How, many, how much theft would go on? This, it would become a literal jungle out there. It would be every man for himself. Because people are not inherently good. We're inherently evil. We're not inherently angels. We're more bent toward evil. It's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. We're born with a sin nature. We're bent toward evil. That's why we need some form of government. We need some form of restraint external to us. Now, it's true. If you have more people who are Christians, true Christians, who have a relationship with Christ, then you need 
fewer restraints externally. You still need some, but you need fewer. Once the witness of the Holy Spirit is diminished in a society, however, then you need more and more government. You need more and more of a nanny state to keep people in line. This is why James Madison, no, um, I'm sorry, uh, John, uh, John Adams said, our constitution is only for a holy religious and moral people. It is inadequate for the governance of any, of any other people. Why? You can't govern a people which doesn't have some self-restraint. I don't care how many police you have, how many armies you have. There's going to be a lot more trouble if people don't have self-restraint, if people aren't restrained by the Holy Spirit, by the common grace of God. So in any event, let me go back to the point here. We're supposed to create a government that restrains evil. Not every potential evil, but the major evils. This is why Jesus says, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Look, in our country, we're telling people what light bulbs they can and can't use, what bathrooms they can and can't use, but we're not telling them they ought not murder their children in the womb. We're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. We're actually encouraging this. This is one of the things the Republicans have failed on. They're still giving money to Planned Parenthood. Why is that? Why is government money going to Planned Parenthood? You say, well, if they tried to take it out, then the the budget would stall and uh, there'd be a government shutdown. Well, there's got to be a point where they're going to say, sorry, we're taking it out. The ironic thing is, is not only does that money go to kill babies, it actually goes to support Democrat politicians who want to support Planned Parenthood. So the government is actually paying itself to elect itself because some of that money goes right back into the politicians' pockets. So the bottom line is the government must first of all protect life because life is the most precious thing we have. The right to life is the right to all other rights. That's why we have police. That's why we have military. That's why we have fire. That's why we have ambulance. That's why we have all these services because life is the most important thing to protect. And then the second thing the government must not do is to unnecessarily hurt people by advocating bad behaviors. Unfortunately, our government does that today. It's paying for abortion. It's pr promoting hurtful sex practices. It's by forcing people against their will to do things God says they shouldn't do, such as the baker, the florist, the photographer we talked about earlier. The government ought not be coercing people against their religious and moral beliefs. For example, the government should not be coercing religious people for abortion or to participate in same-sex ceremonies, or to participate in activities that go against their religion or conscience. That's, by the way, why we have conscientious objectors or objection status for people who can't, who can't pick up a weapon to defend the country. We say, okay, you got a moral or religious objection to that? We won't let you do that, or we won't force you to do that. But if we have, if we have conscientious objector protection for people so they don't have to support defending the country, which is the essential purpose of government, protect innocent people from evil, then why can't we have conscientious objector status to people who say, I can't do a same-sex wedding? Obviously, it's much more important to protect the country than to do a same-sex wedding, and yet there are people out there who are saying, well, you don't have to protect the country, but you do have to do a same-sex wedding. For what purpose? Find somebody else who will be happy to do a same-sex wedding. Well... I've talked about this before, as you know. What we need to do, and we all need to do, if we're interested in protecting religious freedom and protecting life and protecting liberty and loving people, 
The way you do it in politics is you vote properly for these issues. You vote pro-life, pro-marriage. You vote for protecting people from evil. And you do that even if people hate you for it. Because your job is to do what's right and leave the results to God. So as you look at the candidates coming up here, and I know there's already early voting going on. As you look at the candidates, as Jesus said, vote the big issues. Don't vote the little issues. Not everybody's, nobody's perfect. You're never going to find a perfect candidate. It's always a choice between the lesser of two evils. But find the candidate that most lines up with natural law and biblical values. And remember, you're not just voting for one person, you're voting for a party because the parties govern our system here. So vote someone who can advance those causes. And if you do, then you're doing your civic duty. If you sit on the sidelines, I don't think you're doing your civic duty. You're not involved. I don't think you should be complaining about the way the country's going if you don't get out there and vote. And, th- and think about some pe- so many people in the, in the world don't even have the privilege of voting. We do, and we take it for granted. In fact, if every Christian voted, this country would be in a lot better shape. I can tell you that right now. It wouldn't have been Hillary Clinton and, Bill, and, and, uh, and Donald Trump uh, two years ago. It would have been completely different. But we are where we are now, and you've just got to make the best of it and get involved and vote. Vote the major issues, not the minor issues. Remember, party matters, and look at the party platform. See where they differ. Just go online and type in Democrat versus Republican platform and see where they stand. It's important, friends. All right, I'm Frank Turek. I'll see you in Brayton, Florida next week. Uh, all the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. Check it out. I'll be right there with Josh McDowell and several other folks. And I'll see you back here next week as well. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our Cross Examine podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 